There you go. I was waiting for the slides, and now they're here. See, waiting has a reward. Advent is, by its very nature, a season of waiting. In fact, I went online last night. I went uh, onto our Instagram account to, to share about today's message, and I noticed another church in a whole other part of the world. It's a wonderful church. It's a church of Jesus Christ, so it's a sister to church to us in the kingdom. And they were also talking about a season of waiting. And they were also talking about how the whole world seems at this time to have been experiencing waiting, waiting for the end of COVID, waiting for restoration of the economy, waiting for clarity about national and international leadership, waiting for wars either to break out or to end, and hopefully the latter, waiting for peace to roll down from the mountains. And that's the kind of waiting that we can all relate to. But in this season of Christmas, there's a lot of other waiting too. Some of that LAX kind of waiting and that Disneyland kind of waiting and waiting at Target or waiting in the, in the checkout aisle, even if it's an online checkout aisle. Have you noticed that you become more impatient with the online procedures? Remember back when it was AOL dial-up and you expected that it was going to take two hours to do anything online? Now you want it instantaneously. If the little rainbow wheel is spinning, you're like, what's going on? I'm ready for it. There's a lot of waiting involved in this season. And there can be a lot of angst involved in that waiting. And so in this series, I want to focus on the patience, the prophetic sensibility of the Spirit of the Lord that is rooted in his word, that is rooted in his love, that helps us to wait wisely and purposefully. So today, we're going to talk about patience in waiting, how to be patient in the process of waiting. And as we do so, I'm going to be focused with you on patient preparation. Because the fact of the matter is, the reason why the Lord spoke prophetically about the arrival of his son Jesus Christ so long before it happened is because there's a plan that he's working out and he wants his people to be prepared for that plan. And so as we anticipate Christmas coming this year, we also need to anticipate that all the promises that God has made about the Messiah, all the promises and prophetic statements that God makes in his word, they are all going to come to pass. Some already have, some have yet to be. And there's a preparation that you and I need to be making in this season of waiting that will help us be ready for what the Lord wants to do as the Lord comes to the fulfillment of his promises. Patience in waiting means preparation, and that's patience in planning. Next week, in the second week of Advent, we're going to talk about patience in planning. And you know, this is a season in which all of us have a lot of plans, right? The plans for parties and for gatherings, plans for visits and trips and travels. We're going to go see Lola, or Lola's going to come see us. That kind of thing where you need to plan and prepare work plans, planning to be away from work perhaps. Or if you don't have the luxury of taking time off in this season, it may be planning how you're going to celebrate with your family and connect with your community and still keep doing the, the demands of your job. And so there's lots of plans. And you know, a lot of the anxiety and angst and sometimes even household arguments or workplace arguments that happen in this season have to do with plans. Well, I've got these plans. Well, you've got those plans. How do we get these plans to fit? I want my plans to go my way. I want my plans to happen the way that I want them to. In the Christmas story, we see people who have plans just like you and I do, but they don't always come to pass. Zechariah and Elizabeth were people who planned to have a child. 
Their whole life was waiting for something that ultimately wasn't going to happen according to the natural expectation. They got to be too old to have a child. That plan didn't pan out for them as they had thought until one day an angel appeared to Zechariah and said, guess what? Even though you're both too old to have a child, your wife is going to conceive and bear a son. And that son is going to be the prophet who cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. If you were with us on Thanksgiving Eve, you heard me preach from Isaiah 40, another chapter in the ancient prophet Isaiah, where he said that there would be one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And we know that that Elijah-like prophet is John the Baptist. That's the baby that was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their plans didn't pan out the way they expected, but God's plan turned out the way he had planned. And so they had to pivot in their plans. And it's just possible that you might need to pivot in some of your plans this Advent season. If you're pivoting because of the promise and the prophetic revelation of God, if you're pivoting because God's at work in the circumstances, and if your life is submitted to him and your plans are submitted to him, he's at work in your circumstances. And even if you're not submitted, he's still at work in your circumstances. You can know that no matter what plans turn out to look like, God's will shall be done. It involves patient hope that no matter what comes, if I'm trusting in God, God will lead me in the right way and show me the right way to plan for it. Sometimes we get to the place of really hurrying in our plans. And by December 11th, when we come to the third week of Advent, I'm going to talk with you about patience in a hurry. Hurry up and wait. You know, there's times in the Christmas story, the nativity story of the scriptures, where people have to hurry, and it's not exactly what they would have planned. Like Joseph and Mary. In her third trimester, all of a sudden, as she's nearing the very point in which she's going to give birth to her first child, all of a sudden, the leaders of the land say, everybody has to go to their ancestral home place, and no matter how far of a journey that is, you have to go there because there's a census, and it's required by law that you be counted. And so now Mary and Joseph have to travel, probably by foot, maybe there's a donkey, still 90 miles. Can you imagine traveling 90 miles, nine months pregnant, by foot or on donkey? Either way, that's like walking from here to about 20 miles outside of Bakersfield. You want to make that walk when you're nine months pregnant? I don't think so. You probably don't want to make it with someone who's nine months pregnant either. And imagine doing it with everyone and their brother, because Luke chapter 2 tells us everyone was on the road, everyone was in the way, everyone was filling it. In fact, there was no room for them in the inn. But they weren't the kind of people to complain. And the Christmas story reveals that. We'll talk more about that when we get to it. They were the kind of people to patiently persevere and to do so with patient submission. They were submitted to the authorities over them, just like God in his word tells us to be, because they knew that God is the greatest authority. And if Caesar Augustus decreed that all people had to go to the place to be census recorded, God must be in that too. And he was, because the place they went to was Bethlehem, which his ancient word had predicted would be the place where Jesus would be born. And the time came for him to be born there. And there were angels that spoke to shepherds in the field and said, hurry, hurry, and go see this thing that has happened. And the shepherds hurried. So hurry happens. 
And sometimes it happens because of the people around us and the people over us. And sometimes it happens because the God who is over us says, now is the time to go. Now is the time to share. But in the midst of our hurry, let's not be driven by worry. Let's find the prophetic promise of the Lord and proceed with patient submission to his plan. Patience in waiting, patience in planning, patience in a hurry, and patience for the present. On December 18th, we're going to open a present here at uh, PCF. It's the present of our Christmas party with all of you. But patient for the present is not only like a child waiting for Christmas morning to open their presents, but also like you and us, children of God, who may be in a season of waiting and we are wondering, how long do I have to be in this present moment? Have you ever felt that way? At Christmas time, a lot of people in the midst of all the joy around them are dealing with some pain within them of the loss of a person or a situation or maybe just feeling out of step with all this festivity around me, but inside anxiety or emptiness. And people also may be waiting on the Lord for something, but they're beginning to wonder if God has forgotten them. And they wonder, how long can I sustain patiently in this present moment? And the answer of the Lord is, if you look to me, I will give you the grace to understand the present moment and to realize the gift that the present actually is. In the story of Christmas, when Joseph receives a dream that tells him this pregnancy of Mary is a good thing, it's a God thing, he trusts in that, even though it's so hard to believe. The Magi who followed a star in the sky to a baby that they believed would be born simply because of the word of God demonstrated that kind of trust too. Patient trust that will persevere. On Christmas Eve, I'm going to bring a message about the reward of waiting. Patience in a silent night. Simeon and Anna are two elderly people who had promises of their own from the Lord. In the case of Simeon, God had told him, you will get to see the Messiah. You won't die before my Savior comes to you, before Emmanuel comes. And yet, Simeon is on his last legs He's in his last days. And maybe he and Anna were people who could relate to being in a season of waiting where it seems like the spirit has gone silent, where you're looking to hear something from God, but all you hear is the quiet kind of silence of a midwinter night. But in that silent night, even in that still small place, the spirit is speaking and there's a reward for waiting and believing and trusting. And that reward is Christ himself. Finally, on Christmas morning, which is a Sunday, Sunday, December 25th at 10.30 a.m., we'll conclude this series with a wonderful celebration of Christmas. And we will talk about patience in a sudden flight. Because after Jesus was born, there were threats right away. King Herod wanted to kill that child, and since he couldn't find exactly which one was Jesus, he decided to kill every child, every male child, two years old and younger, in that region. Thankfully, God told Joseph that they needed to flee. But imagine the patience required when you've already trusted God to this point, and you've already gone through the crowded road, and your wife nine months pregnant on it, and the in with no room, 
But you know, also in each one of those instances, just like we were talking about and singing about earlier today, Joseph was able to see that God had been faithful. The problems came. The troubles rose up. The need for patience was very real. But so was the presence of God. And so Joseph had learned to lean into the Lord and listen to what the Lord was speaking to him by the Spirit. And so in a sudden flight, the Holy Family went to Egypt, just like the Word of God had predicted hundreds of years before. And so it brings me back to today's focus, patience and waiting, because this Word is full of promises. Will you turn to somebody next to you, even you at home, and say to them, this word, the Bible, is full of promises. But you know what? You have to look to them, believe in him, and sometimes you have to wait. It's a good thing to wait. The Christmas tree covers all kinds of gifts. But do not open until Christmas Day. But prepare. Get ready. The word is full of promises. And one of them was that the Messiah would come. That a Savior, who is God's very presence, would come to us. We, the people who had turned away from God in the garden and lost our place of privileged intimacy with him, he would bring his intimate presence to us. Advent is the traditional period of anticipating the fulfillment of that promise, anticipating the arrival of the Messiah that you and I know came through the labor and delivery of a real human child born to a real human mother, but a mother like no other, because unlike any other human being ever born, Jesus was born to a virgin. And the reason was because God had promised it and because it shows that while Jesus is fully human, he is also wholly divine. The Son of God is the way that the scriptures describe it. And you and I can understand that as the incarnate manifestation of God in human flesh. And so every year we celebrate this. It's true that Jesus most likely was not born on December 25th. Jesus was probably born in the fall, perhaps even around the Feast of Trumpets, which has some prophetic relevance, but I won't speak about that today. There's other reasons why we would suggest that he was born at that time. One of them includes the fact of the involvement of the shepherds in Bethlehem, because shepherds would not be out in their flocks sleeping with the flocks of sheep in the season of winter. It's generally too cold in Israel, in Bethlehem, to do that. They would be more likely to be doing that in a temperate time of year, the spring or the fall. There's other reasons. I won't go into it. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us precisely when Jesus was born, other than to say that it gives us the era and it assures us of the event. It is important that you and I recognize the birth of, Christmas, uh, the birth of Jesus is not just a Christmas story. It is certainly not a Christmas fable. It is a historic fact. It is a human record of real history. Jesus really was born in Bethlehem to a woman named Mary who was married to a man named Joseph. This event actually happened. 
precisely the day or season that it happened, we can make suppositions about, but we don't know for sure. Why then should we celebrate it on December 25th? I would suggest to you, and I wouldn't argue the point, I'm not interested in arguing it, but I would suggest, first of all, that it is worthy in the eyes of God that you and I celebrate the birth of his son. And since we don't know the precise day, there is no reason why we shouldn't declare a day and say, on this day, every year, we will remember that Jesus is real, was born, and really lived, and a reminder to us that God fulfills his promises, because there are more promises about what is to come with Jesus. But December 25th has a variety of things that recommend it. I'm not going to go into them now. If you're interested in that, talk with me, and we can talk more. One thing I will say is, it is significant to me that we celebrate the arrival of God's light in a time of year when the days are shortest and the dark is greatest. Because it's a reminder to us that in the dark time, there is still the brilliant light of God. But it also is interesting to recognize that it means that Jesus, if he was born in September, would have been conceived about nine months earlier. Maybe December 25th is God's way of saying life begins at conception. Because it just may be that Jesus wasn't born on earth on December 25th, but that he arrived in Mary's womb on December 25th. I can't know that. Neither can you. What I can say is December 25th sounds like a good time to me to remember that Jesus is alive. Jesus was born to save us. But his coming required waiting. We have a period of devotion in this season in which you and I are called into a season of waiting. You know, traditionally, historically, Advent has been a season of fasting. You fast before the feast. It's sort of like you wait to open the present. There's something that is developed in you by waiting. That short-circuiting waiting actually short-circuits some of the joy some of the promise, some of the blessing, and maybe a lot of the preparing of the practical ways in which you and I can be developed and grown so that when the thing happens, it's not just some sparkly thing that we applaud, but it's a real and vital reality that we can apply, that we're prepared to receive it and to move forward in it. So in this sermon series that leads up to Christmas Day itself, We are going to consider patient preparation as part of our calling. Now, I said that traditionally fasting is preparing for feasting, but some of us could probably benefit from fasting after feasting. I know I could. We all feasted last Thursday. Maybe you would preferably consider fasting with us next Wednesday. Because this coming Wednesday, I believe it's November 30th, is the last Wednesday of the month. And you know, every month at PCF, We set aside the last Wednesday for fasting and prayer. We're going to have our Zoom prayer meeting. You can be with us for that if you're able to. Even if you can't participate live with that, you could participate in a fast this Wednesday and use it as an opportunity to concentrate on what are God's promises to me? What is God calling me to wait for? Use it as an opportunity to spend some time with God. In all of our planning this holiday season, can we plan to spend some time with God and in his word? In all of our spending in this holiday season, can we spend some time in the spirit and in worship? 
When you do that, there will be patient preparation that begins and advances in you by God's grace. And so the whole story of the Christmas event really does relate to how God brings light and life and hope to our world. And the Lord knows we need that because our world is darkened by sin and death and despair. In this first week of Advent, we're focusing on the prophetic power of waiting. Waiting in readiness, not just going, okay, well, do it, Lord, do it. I'm sitting here, the clock is ticking. But rather, in the way that you and I prepare for Christmas, prepare for the coming of the Lord in your heart again. Prepare for a fresh presence of Jesus in your life. Make the way for it. Make room for it. Get ready for him. And so attend to the prophetic purposes of his word and his promises. Do you know that from the very time that God created humanity, he has consistently and rather constantly been speaking promises to every subsequent generation? He's reminding them from generation to generation of the promises. He calls them, he calls us to teach each generation these promises. And he fulfills the promises. There are many predictions and prophecies about the coming of his son Jesus and the salvation that Jesus brings. By the way, that's why Jesus is named Jesus, because Jesus means salvation comes from Yahweh, from the I Am, from God. These promises, these prophecies, they involved hundreds, even thousands of years of waiting. But that's from God's timescale, and it's hard for us to relate to that. They also involved, in those hundreds and thousands of years, lots and lots of human lives that God knew were going to be born and live and die. Like, like Isaiah said in chapter 40, like we talked about on Wednesday night, you spring up like grass on the hill, like flowers in the field, and then you... You die out. But the breath of the Lord is breathing over us all the time. In every human life, there is something of God's promises being released all the time. And it's available to anyone. But not everyone attends to it. It requires attention. It requires preparation. It requires some waiting. Why must we wait? And how should we prepare? And ultimately, to kind of go back to the beginning, now how long do we have to wait? Even if we're convinced by God that waiting has its worth, and even if we're given by God some guidance on how to prepare, we still tend as human beings to come back to, and then how long do I have to wait? How long, how long, how long? There are answers to this. Let's look at the passage of Scripture in the prophet Isaiah in which Isaiah makes this, this historic prophecy about the virgin giving birth. I'm not going to go into great detail about the context that it's given. Suffice it to say that this is happening, as I, as I said, you know, some seven to 800 years before the birth of Jesus. And it's in an era when the prophet Isaiah in the nation of Judah, that's the southern part of Israel, the lower kingdom after it had divided, is speaking by the Spirit of the Lord, to the king there. The king's name at that time is Ahaz. And Ahaz is in a distressing situation in which he and Israel are facing enemies who are a threat to them. 
And they are wondering, how long do we have to wait, Lord, before you come in and help us the way that we believe that you're going to help us? And so the prophet through, or the Lord through the prophet says to Ahaz, ask God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. You can look for a sign in the earth or in the sea or in the sky. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I won't put the Lord to the test. Remember last week's message when we talked about the man that was testing Jesus? So Ahaz says, no, no, I'm, I'm not a bad boy. I'm not going to test God. But the difference here is that God is the one who is saying, okay, you want guidance? Ask me to show you something. Ask for a sign. And then this man says, no, I won't ask for a sign. And so then the prophet says, here, you house of David. In other words, okay, you, you descendant of David and all of your kindred, is it enough to try the patience of humans? Now you're also going to try the patience of God? God's telling you to ask. You know, sometimes you and I can be more adherent to the expectations of the people around us. Yes, it's a good principle not to test the Lord. In fact, the scripture even says, as we looked at last week in the book of Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord to, your te to the test. But when God comes and says to you, how can I help you see what I'm doing? He's asking a question that invites a response. Don't think, oh, I can't do it that way. Because people said that's not the rules. If God is saying to you, what are you looking for in me? Speak with him. Share with him. Sometimes God gets, I think, uh, frustrated. Of course, God never really gets frustrated. But the human equivalent is frustrated, like in this scene by saying, I'm trying to help you, but you don't even want to hear from me. All right, says the Lord, I'll give you a sign then. You didn't want to choose a sign, I'll give you a sign, because I already have a sign prepared. And here's the sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this term virgin can also be translated in the Hebrew as young woman. And in fact, the prophet himself, is talking about a birth that is going to occur before these uh, uh, adversaries can accomplish the evil that they intend. In other words, the Lord is saying, Here's, you're asking how long you're going to have to wait? The young woman will give birth, and before that child is even old enough to eat on his own, these enemies of yours I will have already dealt with. So there's an immediate answer, but it still requires waiting on the part of King Ahaz and the others in Judah. But there's an extended promise also, because he's not just talking about the young woman that will give birth to that child, but the virgin that will give birth to his child, the Son of God. And so this is a promise that Matthew, in his gospel, directly correlates to the Virgin Mary conceiving. In fact, Matthew says in Matthew 1.22, all this took place, all that he describes about Mary conceiving by the Holy Spirit and Joseph having a dream that explains it to him from God and all the fulfillments of this up to and including the birth and following, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. In other words, God makes promises and they are fulfilled. There are so many messianic promises, in other words, prophecies about the coming of the Messiah that you could take one scripture of them for every day in the year, and you would still be able to carry it out. In other words, there's at least 365 messianic promises in the Old Testament. In fact, 
I'm thinking that might be a great devotional. I'd like to write that someday. One messianic promise for every day. There's so many, but let's look at just a few briefly. In Genesis 3.15, we are told that the seed of a woman would crush Satan the serpent's head. Seed of a woman is an unusual term because the seed comes from the man. So the seed of a woman seems to be, by implication, a prophetic promise about a virgin birth. It's talking about Christ crushing Satan, overcoming the enemy, which is death and deception and hell, Satan himself. The seed of Abraham will be a blessing to all nations. So this son of a woman, who is son of God, will also be a son of Abraham, a son of Israel, and in fact, a son of David, a descendant of Judah, to rule all the peoples. So those things are all in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And what we hear from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians in the New Testament, Galatians 4, 4 is that there was a timing of God in all of this, that the time of God had to fully come, just like a pregnancy, where you don't want it to happen too early. You know, I remember when we were expecting our children, we were so eager to see those children, but not so eager that you want her to go into labor at five months or six months, because that's a problem. You need the preparation of the gestation in the womb. Now, by God's grace, premature children can still thrive and flourish. Hallelujah. But you understand the principle that I'm saying. Things take time, and there's a pattern and a progress. If I said to you, let's all have Christmas tomorrow, there would be some among us under the age of five that would be all for it. But most of us would say, no, 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 that's not right. You can't, you can't just make it Christmas. You have to wait. That's part of the purpose. That's part of the blessing. And also, I've got some stuff to do, right? I need to prepare. So when the time had fully come and the preparations had been made and it was time for the promises to be fulfilled, then God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. In fact, when Jesus died and was resurrected, as we looked at earlier this year in our People of Patience series, he appeared to the, uh, the apostles, he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. In many of these resurrection appearances, he consistently opens their minds to understand the promises. They've read the scriptures, but now he's opening them to understand a fuller, richer application of their meaning. Do you want that in your life? I do. If you and I are waiting without reading, without praying, without receiving, if we are waiting without worshiping, we're waiting without a purpose, and we're not preparing patiently and wisely. But Jesus, by his spirit, will open our understanding to what the scriptures mean. The fact that Jesus was born under the celestial signal of a star was prophesied in Numbers 24. The fact that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, as I said, was prophesied in the prophet Micah. The fact that there would be an Elijah-like prophet that would come before Jesus to pave and prepare the way was prophesied in Malachi. Everything that was written about Jesus must be fulfilled, and some things have yet to be fulfilled. And so Jesus Christ himself has said, everything that is in this book will be fulfilled. Everything written about me is going to come to pass. Are you ready? It's time to prepare for everything that is written here. So we should know it. We should be aware of it. We should wrap our lives around it. Why must we wait? Because everything written is going to be fulfilled? Because there's a fullness to God's timing? 
because God has a plan and a purpose. So the reason we need to wait is because we are hoping in what God is saying. In this hope, we were saved. Hope that's seen is no hope at all. <laughs> you go to somebody and say, here's your present for Christmas, but there was no wrapping, there was no tag. That's not really, it doesn't feel the same as a present. It might, it might be nice that somebody's being generous, but there's something about the wrapping and the preparing and the placement that is part about what we're hoping for. That's what makes it a gift. Who hopes for what they already have? No, we're hoping for what we do not yet have, but for what we are waiting for patiently. Right now, I want to say to you, the Lord is doing things in your life. Have your hope in him. Place your trust in him. About six months ago, I shared this quote from a, a post of Pastor Robert Morris. I'm going to share it again because it's so applicable to this message. If you are waiting for a promise from God, it's important to know where, how, and why you need to wait. Will you say where, how, and why? Where, how, and, why? and now say you need to wait. Where you need to wait. That's the first one. Then how and why. Where is in relationship with God and his people. You need to wait in Emmanuel, God with us. We need you with us to wait wisely and to prepare patiently. You need us with you because we are one body in Christ. Amen. You're going to experience the presence of God when you're in the presence of his people. Amen. If you are not with the presence of his people, it will be harder for you to experience the presence of God. So be in relationship with him and his people. Be in relationship with his word in prayer. You need to wait in prayer. That's how you do it. That's how you patiently prepare. And the reason is because God's doing something good and it's for your good. So we wait where? In relationship with God and his people. How? In prayer. Why? Because God's doing something and nothing can compare with God's timing. We need to prepare. That's why we wait. Because there are things that need to be transformed in us, grown in us, learned by us. Don't resent waiting. Rejoice in it. Embrace the lesson of what God is doing in this season. And then seek him for guidance. How should I prepare? Be attentive. Be responsive. Be expectant. God's got good plans. God's going to do good things. If there are challenges that come, God is greater than the challenges. Earnestly seek him. Patiently believe in him. Maintain a positive attitude. Nothing is impossible with God. Don't say it's too late. It was too late for, for uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, but it was not too late. Don't say it can't be. It couldn't be for the Virgin Mary, but it's because of God it is. So there's nothing that God can't do. There's nothing that's too late for God. There's nothing that's too far, too big, too hard, too heavy. God can do anything. So look to him to find out what he is doing. Don't just paste that onto your idea of a promise. God can do anything. Therefore, I'm going to win the lottery. But that's not what God said. So don't believe him for a promise that comes from you. Because a promise that comes from you ends with you. Believe him for the promise that comes from him. Because there's no end in him. 
And if you believe what he has promised, you'll be like Mary and you'll be blessed. And all generations will call you blessed because you believed what God said. Believe it. Prepare with prayer. Read the word. Remember to worship. These are not just life lessons. These are our charge for this Advent season. In the middle of your shopping, in the middle of your wrapping, in the middle of your gifting and giving and cooking and baking, in the middle of your work and your road trips and your classes and your relationships, have these things structuring your life. Prayer, the word, worship, connection with the body, and be listening for God because God is speaking. God is speaking, but we need to believe what he says. Watch out. Sometimes what he says is unbelievable. Believe it anyway. If it's in the word and if it's affirmed in the spirit, then it's of God and you can wait for it. But how long? And somebody out there is thinking, how long is the sermon going on? Just a little bit longer. <laughs> how long do you have to wait until it's done? Until the lesson has been learned which means I could be preaching a long time. And some of you might be learning it and some of you might be getting some good needed rest. So, you know, one way or the other. Our preparation has a purpose and the purpose is found in God. But our waiting is for a season. This is not God saying you have to wait forever. This is God saying wait until the time, but prepare in the time that you've been given but it is for a season. You know, one of the things I love about Christmas is it's a reminder every year that there is a reward for waiting, that there are presents in those packages, that the presence of God, Emmanuel, is with us, and there's a way in which you and I can experience that again and anew every December 25th in a way that feeds into every day that follows it. So, God's arrival comes in time and on time. Don't forget, dear friends, when the Lord looks at a day, it could be a thousand years. When the Lord looks at a thousand years, it may as well be a day. The Lord isn't slow. He isn't without purpose. He has a plan to fulfill his promise, and it involves his patience because he doesn't want anyone to perish in the dark. He wants everyone to come into the light. And repentance is the route to light and life. We need to wait and be patient because God is doing something good in our times. Lord, our times are in your hands. Our lives are in your hands. And as we enter into this season of Advent and preparation and expectation for Christmas, I pray, Lord, that anyone that that isn't connected with you, but is hearing these words right now, would open to and receive that connection, would open to and receive Emmanuel. Come, Emmanuel. Come into the heart of anyone and everyone that has been distant from you, but is opening to you right now. Come once again into the heart of your own people who love you and revere you, but Lord, we confess we are easily distracted and we are quickly impatient. So help us, Lord, to wait in a worthy manner, 
to wait upon you in prayer and worship, to believe in you and to believe what you've said. And help us, Lord, to be your messengers. Like John the Baptist, we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to go before you, even as you have come before us. In other words, we pray that you would equip us, Lord, to share the wonderful good news of Christmas with everyone in our paths this season and always. In Jesus' name, amen.